Good evening. This one of those solemn nights that are, it's just hard to even come together and, and celebrate this night. As I was preparing today for this message and doing my final preparation, I was trying to read over this. Tears just came to my eyes as I was reading through this. It is finished. Allow me to read to you. Mark 15, 33 to 39. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima salpichani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. In John 19, 28 to 30, we also read, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. Such powerful words which lead to a new beginning, a new future. It is the darkest day in human history, but not all the world knew this. Throughout the whole world, people would still be eating together, drinking together, having babies and getting married. But in this scene, this final scene of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, alive on that cross, hanging on a tree, today, A.D. 33, we have one death, one brutal, gruesome death, which will leave upon this world for all eternity a mark, a mark for life and for a future. In Jerusalem, 33 A.D., God the Son, the creator of all that is, will be executed. And at this time, we have these famous final words of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it is finished. Words that matter. Words that matter. Tonight, I want us to read up to the passion. I want us to read up through the death of Christ, or I want us to think through it. I want you to see all of the followers that Jesus had in his last moments alive on that cross, or the lack of followers that he had. I know that this will take a little bit of time, but bear with me because I just think it's so crucial, so important for us to, on this special day, remember exactly what Jesus did for us, what he went through for us, the agony and the pain and the torture and the sorrow that he went through. So we're going to be starting with, with Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 32 through 42, in the Garden of Gethsemane. As we start with one... Jesus was alone in the garden. Metaphorically, he was alone in the garden. Allow me to read to you. 
Mark 14, starting at 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to him, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Are you asleep? Could not you stay awake one hour? Could not you watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us going see my betrayer is at hand. Allow me to also read just the ending of another version in Luke, starting at chapter 22, verse 39 to 46. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And it withdrew from them about a stone's throw away, and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Sit here while I pray. The disciples were told to do one job, one simple command, just sit here while I pray. Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw away. Only a stone's throw away. Sit here while I pray and watch over me. In verse 43 of Luke, we read, And there appeared to him an angel from heaven to strengthen him. He was so, so distressed, so sorrowful, that he was even sorrowful and distressed even to death. Have you ever been sorrowed? So full of sorrow that... You just felt like death had creeped over and taken over your whole body in your life. Here we read that he was greatly distressed, even to death. They were told one additional command to follow up the rest, but only later they were told to watch. So they were told to sit here while I pray and to watch. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. A condition called hematridosis. I heard a pastor once give a great example of this, a very moving example, as 
a fellow pastor at his church, his wife had taken the kids to the swimming pool one day. And at the end of their swimming pool visit, the wife was loading the kids up in the van, and she noticed one of the kids was missing. So she went into this pool again, and she's yelling for her son, Timmy, whatever the name was. She's yelling for her son, and her son's not coming. Well, now mom is getting worried, and she's yelling frantically. And as she glances down at the swimming pool, she saw her son laying at the bottom of the pool, unconscious, not able to hear her, not able to swim up to the top. Immediately, the lifeguard was called, and he dove in, and he rescued her son. But as her son was now in the hospital later on trying to recover, dad was there, this pastor was there, and he asked the doctor, Doctor, why is my son's face covered in blotches, blue-purple blotches? And the doctor had said, Apparently your son was in such distress that he yelled out to mommy so loud, loud out for dad so loud, that he burst the capillaries, the blood vessels in his face. The son later recovered, as I hear it, but it gives us a great example of what might have happened at that day. He prayed so hard, so earnestly, that his face bled. Here we have Jesus praying so hard and so desperately for help that his face is bleeding. And yet his closest followers are doing what? Are they sitting there watching after him? No, they're sitting there and they're asleep. They're not watching after him. And what did he see? What caused Jesus to be in such distress, so strongly in distress and so sorrowful that not only is he, is he crying, but his face is bleeding. And not only is it like this little kid at the bottom of that pool who yelled out so earnestly for his mom that he had blue spots on his face, but it tells us the blood drops dropped to the ground. Now, immediately one thought says maybe in that moment, in that distress, he's thinking himself, picturing himself dying for us. He's picturing us, he's picturing him going to the cross. And then he's remembering that my followers aren't even truly following me. My followers are sleeping. They're not even watching. But one scholar that I read up on with this gave a different idea. He believes that at this point, the father started to look away from him. At this point, the Father, God, Jesus was already beginning his work of taking our sins upon him. And because of our sins taking over and, and him covering us, with sin, covering, covering us with him, God could not look upon him. He couldn't look upon the power of that sin. So at this time, he was abandoned. And this was the first time since all of creation that Jesus cried out to his father and he realized his father was not there because of the sin. Jesus saw hell. Jesus saw sin. And Jesus saw that he was alone. And he cried out to God, help me. He cried out to God in distress, take this cup away from me. But if it is your will, he committed to go all the way. These disciples who had been with him for three years, day and night, following him everywhere, eating with him, sleeping with him, praying with him, being mentored by him, private teaching, tutoring, and yet they were asleep. They were a stone throw away, sleeping. Before they fell asleep, Jesus told them how sorrowful he was. He was so sorrowful even to death. And I think of myself, I think... 
if one of you guys tell me, oh, Patrick, I am so, just so filled with sorrow and anguish and sadness, and I just don't know what to do with my life, I think I'm going to come along your side. I'm going to wrap my arms around you, and I'm going to just pray with you, encourage you, strengthen you, love on you. And yet, they're asleep. Why did God give us this picture? Why did God picture such a, give us so many details? I think it's because God wants us to see just how much he loved us. Just how much he still loves us. That he sent his son, his one and only son, into the world to die for us because he loves us. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Great lyrics for us to remember. We want to judge them. We want to say, oh, Lord, how could his disciples do such a thing? But then I think to myself, what do we do each and every single day of our lives? Because we are doing the same thing. We may not have Jesus right by our side saying, watch over me. Don't fall asleep. But we are asleep. Don't we do the same thing? Don't we ignore Jesus and his commands each and every single day? Do we ignore our children, our friends, our strangers who need our help? Because sometimes we're just so focused on ourselves and our needs that we fail to listen. We say, hold on one moment, I'll get to you later. But maybe they're at that point right there. But you know what? Prophecy had to be fulfilled. God's will must be fulfilled. And Jesus knew this. Everything was happening exactly as it needed to happen. Jesus voluntarily looked into hell and still, he went all the way to the cross for us. The disciples would soon awake for good as the betrayer came close with soldiers. And Jesus was betrayed, number two. And as I read on in Mark 14, 43 to 50, I read this. <clears throat> and immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders... Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ears. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they left him and fled. They all left him and fled. They all left him. We also find in Matthew 26, 53, and this powerful words, just reading this alone brought tears to my eyes as I read, Do you think I cannot call on my Father, and he will not at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Jesus had all the power in the world. There could be 72,000 angels. That's how many? Twelve legions of angels, if you compare it to the Roman guard. Twelve legions of angels would be 72,000 angels would be there at once to fight for him. With one word out of Jesus, they would be there. With one thought, they would be there. But Jesus didn't even need the angels. Jesus is Jesus, the Son of God. He didn't need to do any of this, but he did it. 
And in 2 Kings 19, we read that one single angel defeated an army of more than 185,000 men in a single night. One angel. And here we read that at one word, one cry out, he could send 72,000 angels. This is Jesus. He could snap his fingers and everything would be changed. Everything would go away. He could just be right up with his father again. But he knew that it was God's will. It was that needed to be fulfilled. This is what needed to happen to make Good Friday good. He needed to go to the cross to save us, to be that one final Passover lamb. Jesus came to be a peacemaker. But he didn't come with a sword. He did not allow his disciples to take up arms. He told him to put away the sword. Don't go fight. But next we see that Jesus was deserted. Number three, Jesus was deserted. The disciples fled. It tells us that all of them fled. They were afraid of being captured themselves. They found no comfort in the fact that Jesus was willing to be captured. They wanted this Jesus to go to fight for him. They wanted him to bring about a rebellion and overthrow the Roman government, even though they knew what was to happen. They knew Jesus had told them what was going to happen. And here, just moments before, at the Last Supper, the disciples were fighting over who was the greatest. And yet now they all were asleep, and now they all fled his side. They wanted a Jesus which would have led to a different type of salvation. And they ran because they were afraid. They could continue to, and they continued to run as they continued to deny him. And yet still, he didn't allow those angels to come save him, did he? He had all the power in the world, and yet he still committed himself to the cause to save us. He did not snap his fingers and use the power of a god. He did not yell out to his followers to pick up weapons and start a rebellion in his name and to defend him. He brought peace. And number four, Jesus was tortured. Jesus brought peace in an unconventional way. His body would be broken, blood spilt for all of us to have peace with the Father. He would be mocked, a crown of thorns pushed upon his head. He would be flogged, he would be whipped, and the scourging would be begin. And some of you may have seen the movies such as The Passion of the Christ and the scourging, the flogging was not just being whipped with a leather whip, an Indiana Jones type whip. It was a whip with metal pieces and stones rolled up at the end of it. And as you would whip them, as you would scourge them, it would take pieces of skin away. I, some of my research said that it could have exposed bone and organs. And yet, after all of this torture, the people still did not think Jesus had had enough. They would still yell, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate gave the option to release a prisoner. Let me let go, Jesus. Let me let him free. He's had enough. But no, they still yelled, crucify him. Let Barabbas go. Jesus died for Barabbas. Jesus died for us. We are him. Barabbas, Barabbas is who deserved the cross. We deserve the cross. Jesus went all the way to the cross to bring us peace. He brought life. And as this was happening, he prayed for the soldiers to be forgiven. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. He forgave the person next to him on the cross. And he told him that I will be with you in paradise. And he forgave us through the cross. We are forgiven. His final words, it is 
finished. It is finished. Words that matter. Words which give us a future. And number five, Jesus was murdered. He was crucified. He was killed. Jesus finished the job he set out to accomplish. God always finishes what he begins or sets out to accomplish. Finished were the sufferings of Christ. Finished was Satan's stronghold or rule over humanity. And finished were their sacrifices for salvation. Finished defeating Satan, death, judgment, and sin. 1 Peter 2.24, we read, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. It is finished. Words that matter. Everyone thinks that they have these words that matter. Whether you look to Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, social media, or even when you just talk to somebody on the street, they think they have the next words that matter. And they want it to go viral. They want to tell you something that changes the world. And we love quoting famous people in these quotes, which just seem like they matter. But you know what really matters is these final words of Jesus. It is finished. They try to share, but nothing they share can add up to the power of Good Friday. And it is finished. We need God. We need Jesus. Our very souls cry out for him. We thirst for God. And in Psalm 42.2, we read, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. In Psalm 42.6, My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you. And I cannot truly understand just how much God loves me. You can't truly understand how much God loves you. But we try. And we picture the cross as we try. We wear cross necklaces around our necks as we picture the cross. And we picture just how far he went for us. We try to understand. But we never fully understand why until we meet him. In Psalm 92.5 we read, How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this. And on, in Isaiah 55, 8 to 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. But you know what I know? His word helps to paint a picture for us of just how much he loves us. Good Friday. The cross, Jesus' death, Gethsemane, the trial, which was not fair, the lies, the deception, his followers falling asleep and not watching out for him. All of this paints a picture for us of just how far Jesus went for us. Those tears, his face bleeding, shows us how much he loves us and what he went through. Jesus brings us life. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We can't save ourselves. We try every single day, and this just leads to our destruction. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But God sent his Son to save us. And that's powerful. It is finished. It's finished for us. Does that paint a picture for you? I hope it paints a picture for you. As you hear those words, it is finished. Good Friday is good because he did this to show us his love. 
to save us from sin, to save us from the hell that we deserve, to give us a future and to give us life. Jesus didn't deserve any of this. And we're here today to remember the life of Jesus and to remember just how far he went for us. His death. We're here to remember his death. Jesus' unjust treatment through trial, punishment, crucifixion, and death upon that cross. But as we mourn this day, we also celebrate. I have so many people that come to me and they say, why do we celebrate? We just feel like we should be mourning and crying. And I agree, I was crying while I was reading this today and while I was studying it. But we also celebrate. Because when we get through it to the very end, we see those words, it is finished. Words that matter. And with that, I have one question for you as we go to our application. One powerful question to think through. Is what you're living for worth him dying for? Is what you're living for worth him dying for? It is finished. Our sins are in our past. We've been forgiven of them, but we continue to go back and not live for him, but live for us. It is finished. Allow it to be finished. Live in a way which is worth him dying for. I want us to end this message here. We're about to go to communion. Here in a moment, I'm going to have the men come forward so we can take communion together. But what will we do with this message of Christ's sacrifice, of the cross, with what he did for us on this day that we remember? Will we hold it in for ourselves, or where will we share it with other people? Will we live it with our life? Will we live in a way that's worth him dying for us? I'm going to pray, and if the men would come forward and have a seat, we're going to take communion together. And I wanted to end in this way because I want us to end with this thought on our mind. No other thought. I want us to end in remembering what he did on this day, A.D. 33 in Jerusalem. I want us to end with remembering what he did on that cross, his death on the cross, and what it led to. Let me pray. Bow your heads, please. Lord God, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for what it means to all of us that with those words, it is finished. You know, the funny thing is, those words, it is finished, makes it sound like it's the end, but it wasn't. It was only the beginning as it leads to new life. In new life, not just for your favorite people or the people who are perfect and serve you day and night, but each and every single one of us can have this life because of your son dying on that cross. All we must do is profess that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior and follow after him. Lord, I pray that tonight we go from here and with this communion we're about to take part in together with the bread and with the cup, we remember that you went all the way. It is finished. Words that matter. Thank you, Lord. In your holy name we pray. Amen.